bills, bills, bills. That's all I ever get is bills. I mean, I work hard. I work practically to the bone, and it's never enough. I get bill after bill after bill. I go to the mailbox. Oh, what am I going to find in the mailbox? Oh, look, it's another bill. And it's just always coming relentlessly one after another. And no matter what I get for working, it's never enough. How am I going to make this? How am I going to make that? And then after that bill and that bill is taken care of, then my kids need something. They are always needing something. Where am I going to find money for that? What are we going to do? This is just never ending. I, I don't see a way out of this. And then the collectors are going to come, and then we're going to lose the house and the car, and I'll lose the job that I need to pay for the bills, and then what am I going to do? Oh, I guess I'll have to find some cardboard to live in, right? <sighs> or, okay, so I have this deadline, and I've got this assignment that's due by tomorrow, and then I've got that project that's due in two weeks, and then I have finals after that, and then it all starts again, and I've got to meet with my advisor to figure out what I'm supposed to do for the end of the semester, and I know I've got colleges looking at me, and then I know I've got, if I'm in college, I've got uh, jobs looking at me, and I've got to have a certain grade point average to get into the job that I want, and then I've got to start at the bottom all over again, and it's never ending there, and the pressure just keeps on mounting, and people are expecting me to be at this level, because I've always been at this level, but I can't keep up this level. What am I going to do? What am I here for? I, I, just, I just need to give up. I just need to give it all up, but I can't do that because then I won't get anywhere and I won't have the house and the kids and the job that I need to pay for all the bills that will come in. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? I mean, that's life, right? That's life, unfortunately. And um, that's life full of anxiety that we are all prone to. Some of us are more susceptible than others, but we're all very potentially prone to anxiety. Oh, we are, we are very anxious people, uh, all of us. Some of us hide it better than others, and some of us may not be uh, as dramatic with it as others. Some of us can deal with it better than others, but at some point we're all going to struggle with anxiety. We're all going to deal with it. That, you know, that crippling feeling of being under the weight that you can't get out from under. Uh, it, it goes beyond just being a little worried to just mounds and mounds of stress. And it manifests itself in physical ways and in physical symptoms. You know what I'm talking about. That pain in the neck that just won't go away. No, that's not your spouse. Not talking about that. It's not your boss at work. It's not your student's. No, it's stress, that lump that's just there and just won't get worked out. And, and the headaches that just come, and no matter how many Advil or, or ibuprofen you take, it just doesn't leave. Or the sweats, you know, those sweats that you just break out in. Or the tossing and the turning at night, no matter how tired you are, you just can't sleep. All that's anxiety. And it comes in different ways and at different times, but it's all anxiety. And we are very anxious people, particularly in this country. In the United States. In 2008, a study published in the magazine Psychology Today found that the average high school student uh, that year, 2008, had the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. It's pretty significant. And that was 2008. Ten years ago. So imagine how much farther we are along now. And it's not in, in the good. It's not to the positive uh, in any way. We are getting more anxious every single decade. 
in January 2017, just a year ago, for the first time in 10 years of doing an annual survey on the stress levels of Americans, the American Psychological Association found a statistically significant increase in stress levels compared to just the previous year. So what they found there was that Americans certainly appear to be more stressed than ever. I think we could all agree with that. I mean, we don't need really a psychological study to tell us that. We don't need a psychological degree or background to tell us that. Yeah, we can just look around. We look in our own families. You look at yourself. You look at your family members. You look at people in your neighborhood. You look at people in your workplace. You look at people all throughout culture. Yeah, we're getting more stressed all the time. And stress doesn't necessarily have to lead to anxiety, but it often does. Very often. It's just one short step to, to anxiety. It's anxiety's younger brother. And without dealing with stress in a proper way, it absolutely leads to anxiety. And if that's not dealt with, that leads to depression. And on and on we can go in just this endless, horrible cycle that maybe, just maybe, you find yourself in today. Or if you're not there, you certainly have been and have the potential to be there again. Anxiety can be powerful, right? Anxiety can be powerful, and often it is very powerful. But here's what I want you to know and to remember. Anxiety can be powerful, but it's not invincible. Anxiety can be powerful, but it's not invincible. And... There is no magic wand to eliminate all anxiety and worry uh, forever from your life. That's not going to happen. It doesn't exist. But there is a constant power source to fight against it, and that's prayer. There's no magic wand to just, you can wave and anxiety is never part of your life and you never have to deal with it. You never have to worry about worry. That's not, that's not ever going to happen uh, while we're in this life. But there is, thankfully, a constant, constant power source to deal with it, to fight against it, and to attack that anxiety that is attacking us, and that is prayer. So what I want to encourage you to do and, and challenge you to do, all of us, myself included, is to revive your prayer life. And we're in this series, Resolutions Back to the Basics. Part of that is to resolve to revive your prayer life. Maybe you have in the past been a person of constant prayer and you've seen what God has done with that and and you've seen the strength that it's given you and the the freedom that it's given you, but somewhere along the line you let it kind of go to the wayside and you're not the person of prayer you used to be. The good news is you don't have to stay that way. You can absolutely revive your prayer life. And I I want to challenge you to do that as an individual. But also, I want to challenge us together as a church to revive our prayer life corporately. And we need to do that. We're desperate for that. We really can do nothing apart from prayer. That is our power source. Billy Graham famously said this, A prayerless Christian is a powerless 
Christian. Do you agree with that? Good, most of you do. Yeah, a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. I, I absolutely believe that because I am evidence of that. I've seen that personally. The times in my life where I have allowed a drought of prayer, I'm powerless, I'm weak, I'm prone to all sorts of failure. The times, though, when I am committed to prayer, when that's up here in the priority in my life, I'm not perfect in those times, I'm never there, but I am stronger. I am more able to deal with things that come my way and come my way they will. Right? I'm able to deal with it better when I'm a person of prayer. So, yeah, I agree with that, that a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. And that's why God wanted us to know through the Apostle Paul what Paul wrote in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. He says there, Do not be anxious. That's anxiety-filled, anxiety-driven. Do not be anxious about anything. Now we need to understand here, Paul is not saying don't ever be concerned about anything. Don't ever even be worried about something that, that should worry you, that should cause you pause. Don't ever give serious thought to a serious situation. That's not what Paul is saying here. We need to understand there is a big difference between concern and really even thoughtful worry. There's a difference between that and actual anxiety and senseless worry. Big difference. Concern is sometimes needed. And it's right for us to be a little worried about something that is mounting, that is um, heavy, something especially in terms of, of sin, okay? But anxiety has no point or benefit or fruit whatsoever. All anxiety does every time is rob us of resting and trusting in God. That's all anxiety ever does, and it does it every single time. So there's a big difference between concern and anxiety or severe worry. That's what Paul is addressing here. He says, do not allow yourself, be determined not to be anxious, be under the weight of anxiety, be driven and tossed by anxiety. Don't be robbed by your trust and your rest in a good, good father. Don't, don't be habitual in that manner. Don't let that define you. Don't be that kind of person. Don't walk and live in that way, in an anxiety-filled manner. And he says, don't be anxious about anything. That's significant. Because if we were to read, don't be anxious about the little things, don't sweat the small stuff, but man, those big things that come your way, yeah, it's understandable for you to be anxious about. God, God understands that. He's okay with that. It's not what it says. It means we don't have an out. We don't have an out. It's not just the little things that we're not to, to be anxious over. It's the big things as well. That's hard to hear. Because you and I both know there's a lot of big things that come our way. You know, we're, we're kind of floating along in the sea. Things are going okay. And then all of a sudden, 
we see this huge ocean liner coming right at us. What do we do? What do we do? What are we going to do? This is it. It's all over. That, that happens in life. So it's hard to hear this. Don't be anxious about anything. Understanding that means the big stuff too. But that's exactly what it means. Because anything is synonymous with everything. Right? Don't be anxious about anything. Small stuff, big stuff, in-between stuff. Don't allow yourself to go that way. Determined not to be driven, tossed, affected, attacked by, by anxiety. Don't let that be who you are or what you are. And don't do that with anything. But, here's the contrast to that, but in every situation, that's everything, the big stuff, the small stuff, in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. See, the answer to anxiety, the cure to our anxiety, is prayer. That's it. And it's an ongoing cure. By cure, I don't mean it, it takes it just completely away, out of your life forever. Remember I said there's no magic wand. That's not, that's not what I mean by cure. But I do mean when you're afflicted by that anxiety, when you're feeling it, when you're being attacked by it, when you're under the weight of it, when you're just about crippled from it, we need to remember that God has given us this amazing tool, this amazing resource called prayer, and that is what we need to use against it. That's the contrast here. Don't be anxious about anything. Determine not to be. Rather, in every situation, instead of choosing to allow yourself to be anxious, in every situation, by or through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And you'll notice some specific wording here that Paul uses. He says prayer and petition. That's not just him repeating himself, okay? Prayer here, uh, that's really just the general overall communication with God, our, our overall line of communication with him, talking with him. And that includes everything. That includes worship and praise and, and just, just talking with him. Petition is specifically presenting need before him. It's, it's simply asking him for what we need. So as we come to him in prayer in a general way, it's specifically saying, Father... I know you know about my needs. I know you know about what is on my mind and on my heart right now. I, I know you know uh, what, I'm, what I'm needing, but I, I want to I tell you about it anyway. I want to present this to you. I, I just want to let you know what it is I'm needing here. And God delights in that. God, you know that God loves hearing from us? Do you know that? Do you believe that? It's an amazing thought. That the creator and ruler of the entire universe, who spoke all the galaxies, all the planets, all the stars into being, who spoke the atoms into being that came together, that formed all of the building blocks of life, that that God eagerly, eagerly listens to you and to me. <laughs> Incredible. And he invites us in. And he calls us to come to him. And to make our requests known to him. Even though he knows about them already. 
He wants us to share that. He wants that intimate relationship. He wants that communication. So what Paul is saying here is, is to end your prayer by prayer. That's the means of communicating with God. Make your request known. Don't, don't just sit there and be, be tossed and, and tackled by all those things that are just weighing on your mind and on your heart. Don't allow yourself to just be taken by anxiety. Instead, take the source of your anxiety and to take it to God, your good, good Father, and just let Him know, God, I'm really struggling here. I'm really discouraged here. I I really see no way out of this. Please help me in this specific way. See, petition is specific. It's not just, God, help me. It's, God, please work in this way. God, please supply this need. It's, it's very specific. It's very intentional. It's very direct. So by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, that's important with thanksgiving. That doesn't mean after you're done praying and after you're done giving your petition, you say, thank you, God. It means that while you're praying, while you're petitioning, you're thanking God the entire time. And it it means that you're having faith in action here, knowing that he hears you, knowing that he cares and understands what you're saying, and knowing that he is already working on your behalf. Even as you're, you're mentioning these things, and before you mentioned it, he was already at work. So you're believing that, and you're thanking God for being who he is, for being what he is, the sovereign ruler over all things, including the situations that are causing you anxiety. You're thanking him for all that. You're thanking him for being with you, a constant source of strength. You're thanking him that you're not alone. You're thanking him that you don't have to be full of anxiety. And all this is going on at the same time. See, that's the exercise of prayer. It's a very strategic and intentional, a very active process. And here's what Paul says is the result. It's a wonderful promise. It's amazing. As we're doing that, as we're determined and we choose actively, moment by moment, to not be anxious. We're, we're, we're just not going to do that. We're fighting against that. I'm not going to be anxious about anything. Instead, in every situation, including this monster of a situation I have before me, in all of that, by prayer, with petition, and with thanksgiving for my good, good Father, as I'm doing all that, as I'm presenting my request to God, here's the result. Here's the promise. Verse 7. And the peace of God, (laughs) and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this is just an awesome, awesome promise. This statement, the peace of God, that's not just saying, and peace God will provide you. Peace that God will, will give you or allow you to have. Peace that you can find. That's not what is being said here. It's very, very deliberate that Paul says the peace of God. What that's talking about is the very peace that God always has within himself. It's what makes God, God. It's the peace that he alone has in a divine, supernatural way. And that he always has. It's God-sized peace. 
It's peace that no one else can provide, that no one else can manufacture, that no one else can pursue and find on their own or in themselves. This is truly God's very peace that he has. So the peace of God, God's peace, which, of course, transcends or exceeds all comprehension like everything about God. You know, God is so completely other from all that we are. His divine attributes, His character, His nature, His power, all of that is going to be totally unable to be fathomed by us. We're just too finite. We're too weak. We can know God. We can love God. We can have a relationship with God. But none of that ever means we're going to get God. You with me? Understand? None of us, for, for even for all of eternity, once we get our new minds and our new bodies, what a day that will be. But even in that moment, even in that time, for the rest of eternity, we will never be able to fully grasp God. If we could, what kind of a God would that be? I don't want a God that I can understand ever, fully. I don't want a God that I can know completely the, the, all the depths of his being. I, don't, I need a God that I can never do that with because he's just that much above me. That's always going to be true. And so the peace of God, like all the other attributes and characteristics of God, are going to just be totally beyond our full understanding and our, our full comprehension. And so that peace, that amazing, mind-blowing peace, look, listen to what it says, will guard your hearts and your minds. That word guard, that represents, it's a military term, of course. But remember when this was written and where it was written. Paul has in mind here the Praetorium Guard of Rome. And the Praetorium Guard, they were like the Secret Service. They were the Emperor of Rome's private, special elite group that protected him down to their last breath. They were the elite of the elite. They were the supreme guard. And anywhere the emperor went out in public, they would surround him. And usually it wasn't just one ring. It was multiple rings with their huge head-to-toe shields. They would completely encase him in a human tank so that every step he took... He was surrounded at all times with this incredible, impenetrable guard. That's what Paul has in mind here. He's saying, oh, Christian, child of God, as you determined not to be anxious about anything, even the big stuff, as you choose instead to go to the Lord in prayer about everything and you make your request known and you thank him for what he's going to do, believing he has you and he has the situation, as you're doing that, then the peace of God, which goes beyond any human comprehension and understanding, will surround you like an impenetrable guard. It'll be like you're in this castle that no one can breach. Isn't that great? Isn't that great news? That's what's available to you and me every moment of every day. It's what's at our disposal. Why don't we use that? Why don't we take advantage of that? And that amazing, powerful guard, we see that it guards our hearts and our minds. That's important because that's the source of anxiety. 
That's where anxiety hits us. It hits us in our heart, in all of our emotions, in all of our feelings. And it hits us in our mind where we start to doubt ourselves and whether things can turn around. And we even start to doubt God and we tend to get frustrated and and depressed and discouraged. And then we get angry and we take it out on those close to us. And, you know, the, the cycle in our minds and our hearts, that's where that's where anxiety sets up shop. So it's very, very good to know that this amazing peace of God, this powerful peace that guards like no other can guard, guards exactly those things that anxiety goes after first, the heart and the mind. That we have a guard over our heart and our mind, the very places that anxiety goes after and sets up. And then that last part, that that guarding in our hearts and our minds, it's not in our own ability. It's not in and through us. It's in Christ Jesus. There's no one more powerful than Christ Jesus. So you put it all together. This powerful peace of God will guard, protect, surround your heart and mind. And it will do it in and through the most powerful person possible, the Lord Jesus himself. He's the one who maintains that. He's the one who keeps that guard up. He's the one who who keeps it intact and keeps it going, keeps it energized, keeps it strong, keeps it impenetrable. It's Jesus himself. (laughs) Do we have an amazing God or what? And that's what we have available to us by God through this amazing gift called prayer. And that's why My brother, my sister, you need to revive your prayer life. And you need to revive it in this way. But as I said, it's not just the individual that needs to do this. It's not just personally that we need to pursue this kind of thing. Um, Just as a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian, it's also true that a prayerless church is a powerless church. A prayerless church is... Is a powerless church. You know, this house, this house that we call the church, it's a lot of things. It's a house of teaching and preaching, and it needs to be. It should be that. Uh, it's a house of worship and praise, and definitely need it to be that. It's a house of fellowship and celebration, and we want it to be that, right? But... Listen to me on this. If this house isn't a house of prayer, if that's not a huge, constant priority, then none of the other things will have the power or purpose necessary to really make an impact for the kingdom and for eternity. None of the other activities that we come up with, as good as they might be, none of the other uh, programs, as rich and meaningful as they might be, will be able to provide the power necessary for us to be on point the way we're called to be as the church of Jesus Christ if we're not a house of prayer. Has to drive us. Has to drive us. That's why Paul and his instruction to Timothy about how the church should function, how the church should be, and how he should lead it as a pastor. That's why he said this in 1 Timothy 2.1, I urge, I don't just recommend, 
I'm not just suggesting, I urge then, first of all, that's, that's of high priority, top priority. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving, all part of prayer, be made for all people. That's, that's the church. In the next verse, verse 2, he says some specific examples of what all people includes. He said, for kings and leaders and rulers and all in authority over you. That's an important thing that we often forget as the church. We forget to pray for our leaders and to pray about our leaders. Instead, we're content to gripe about them and to complain about them and blast and bash them, right? That's easy. I mean, that's easy. That's really easy to do. And some make it really, really easy. Let's just be honest. But, but that's not our out as Christians. Church, we don't get to do that. We're called, no matter how we feel, no matter how we disagree with whoever is in place of authority, by God placed in authority, Romans 13, we are told to pray for them and to pray about them. Okay, so that's, that's on the side, but that's still part of what we're to do as the church. Um, that's, that's part of what is to make up uh, this prayer and this intercession and this thanksgiving. That's included in all people. And then Jesus himself says this in Matthew eighteen twenty, an amazing statement, incredible statement about the power of prayer. He says this, for where two or three, just, just two or three, that's all it takes. For where two or three are gathered together, common purpose, fellowship, united, in my name, I am there among them. Or other translations say, in the midst of them. Wow! That means the powerful personal presence of our Savior is right there with us as we gather in his name in prayer in fellowship together, in his name. Incredible promise that we don't think about enough. That's how important prayer is. That's how significant it is, how how powerful it is, and that's why we need to be pursuing it. Individually, we need to be praying and people of prayer, but man, together, corporately, we've got to be a church, a house of prayer, because there is a specific, a very peculiar strength that comes in praying together. There's just something that God has set up there that happens in many times a greater impacting way than than just praying individually. Not that praying individually is less important. It just means that there's something that is kind of kicked up a notch by praying together. And not only in a powerful way, but it also does something to unite us together uh, in, in a bond and in love and in mutual respect for one another. And we grow together by praying. It's not enough just to be under the word together. We've got to be praying together as well. So all that means, what, what that means for us practically is this. For the work of the church to work, it has to be a work of God. For the work of the church to work, it has to be a work of God. And the way it's constantly a work of God, the way we know that's happening, is by humbling ourselves in continual and very deliberate 
prayer. That's how the work of God gets carried out. That's how the work of God gets done. That's how the work of God gets put into action. It's through prayer. That's the means that it takes place. And that's what we need to have happen. That's why, that's why we have to be serious, very serious about seeking him in prayer, asking for his will to be done, asking for his power to be poured out on all that we're trying to do and all that we're trying to be, asking for his glory to be on display, not our glory. Because, man, how weak and limited and fleeting is our glory? I mean, really? No, we don't want our glory to be on display. That does nothing. That, that impresses no one. The world outside will never be impressed by our glory. They will, however, be impressed with the glory of God when it's undeniably on display. We need to be serious about praying that unity, you know what Jesus prayed for right before he went to the cross? We need to pray that unity and love for one another will characterize our church. Man, let us be known for very little in comparison with being able to be known as a church that is unified and that loves one another well. Man, I'll I'll take that any day of the week. They can criticize the preaching. They can criticize our music. They can criticize programs, lack of or quality of. But let's be a church that could never rightly be criticized for our lack of unity or our lack of love. And church, that only happens through prayer. That only happens through God pouring out that ability that we ask for and seek through prayer. We need to ask for a shared passion for the lost and a desire to serve one another. See, because none of that, none of those things can be generated or maintained by us. It just can't happen. It won't happen. We need God's power. And he provides that power through prayer. When people would walk through the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, the church that Spurgeon pastored, and they would ask about the secret uh, to all the conversions and all the growth that, that they were experiencing. And it was dramatic. I mean, it was amazing. Uh, there were usually about 10,000 people in attendance to those services. And especially back in that day, that was unheard of. And so they would ask, what in the world is happening here? What are you doing here? What's the secret to the success? And Charles Spurgeon would take them down to a small basement room next to the the boiler rooms, which in that day powered the buildings. They they fueled, they they heated, they ran the buildings. And uh, he, he told them, he pointed and he said, the source of our power is in that room right there. Because in that room there are always to be found people on their knees interceding for the church. And Spurgeon would declare, this is the powerhouse for our church. Glenn Martin, in a great book called Powerhouse, all about prayer, said this, the true powerful house of prayer will have prayer saturating every aspect, every aspect of its individual and corporate life. Church, that's what we need to see here and now, in this place, at this time, and going forward. 
We need to strive to revive our prayer life, individually and corporately. And we're going we're gonna to start that. We're going to get a jump on that right now. I've asked Don Johnson and Cormie Hildebrand to lead us publicly uh, in prayer in these ways, along these lines that we've talked about. So, uh, Don, Cormie, if you'll come up. Don's going to pray for us first. And Don is going to, he's going to pray for the individual aspect um, of, of our prayer life being revived. He's going to ask for God's power in prayer for our, for our marriages, our finances, our relationships, the things that stress us as an individual. And he's going to ask that, that God truly intervenes in those ways. Then after he's finished, Cormie's going to pray for us as a church, that we would be a church unified, full of love together, with a shared passion for the lost and serving one another. So you pray as these men of God lead us, okay? Join with us as we come before our Heavenly Father who empowers us, who calls us to be with Him. Father, we give you thanks and praise for this message today that we so much needed to hear. There's no doubt, Father, that anxiety is something we all have to deal with. If we look down the rows where we're sitting, in every row, there are a couple people who may be on top of the world right now. There may be a couple people who feel they're at the bottom of the sea. They're just filled with anxiety. And Lord, the thing that we know most about anxiety is if we don't have it now, we just need to be patient. It's going to come. And when it does, Lord, there are a few things that you've asked us to do. We've heard them today. The first thing, Lord, that you want us to do is just to stop. To stop worrying, to stop having the anxiety rule our lives. Your word tells us that we're supposed to cast our anxiety, cast our cares, cast our worries onto you. Lord, if we picture ourselves in a jacket of anxiety, we have to take it off to cast it away. It's no longer ours. We don't have to hold on to it. We can't hold on to it and throw it away. So, Lord, you've asked us to do that, to stop worrying. When that anxiety comes, Lord, you want us to be cool as a cucumber. And we need your peace to do that. We heard today, Lord, that you have a peace that passes by anything we could ever imagine, anything we could ever understand. Help us to give you our anxiety, Lord so that you can give us your peace. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, there's not a person in this room that you don't love. You love each and every one of us. So much so, Lord, that you said you would never leave us, that you would always be with us, and that you send your Holy Spirit to live in those of us who love you, and who have given our lives to you. Help us, Lord, to see that we need to pray when anxiety hits. First thing, as soon as that anxiety comes, Lord, we need to pray. Lord, we need to pray all the time. When we do that, when we trust in your Holy Spirit to give that prayer over to you, to give that anxiety to you, we know, Lord, that we will no longer be powerless. So help us to trust in your Holy Spirit. 
Father, that anxiety comes in many ways to us. Even from the beginning of Pastor Chris's message, you saw the illustration of bills and school. Lord, we pray that you would just work in us to free us from these anxieties in our homes. There are people, Lord, that we know that are struggling in this area, whose homes may be holding together just by a thread. But Father, take that anxiety away. Fill it with your peace. Fill that home with your love. In our marriages, in our relationships, Lord, help us to not just love ourselves, but help us, Lord, to take your love and to share it with each other. Father, the whole idea of relationships that we have here is that they should model the relationship that we have with you. So we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us in that. We have financial anxieties, Lord. Some of us maybe are not working and wish they could, or maybe they're working too much and wish they could get out of that, but they can't because they have too many financial obligations. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us in this area. Give us peace. Your word says that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, Lord. That means you own it all. It's all yours, Lord. So the problems of finance, they're no problems, Lord. They're yours. Help us to be freed from that. In our schools, in our work, in our homes, in everywhere that we go, Lord, we have the potential to be anxious about something. But when your word says to be anxious about nothing, that we should give it all to you. We thank you for that opportunity. And Lord, we don't do this to make our lives easy, although you seem to do that many times and you give us blessing. Father, we want to give everything to you. We give you our anxiety. We give you our cares. And we know that you give us peace for your glory alone. And so we thank you, Lord, for your love. And we ask you to fill us now in the precious name of Jesus, Lord. And we thank you that you hear each and every prayer. And we just praise you for that. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father. At this point in our prayer, we'd like to just pause to tell you how much we thank you, Heavenly Father, for being our God. We acknowledge that you're a God of power and of might and of strength. But we're so thankful, Heavenly Father, that you're also a God of mercy and grace and peace and love and we speak to you now Lord with our petition that you might send God the Holy Spirit into our midst individually and corporately that we might be moved to love one another with the same love that you loved us a love that demands nothing Nothing, nothing in return. But that we might love one another in that fashion. And that that love might draw us together. That we would be a unified body. An assembly of people who are bound together by that particular love for one another and for you. And for what you have done for us, Heavenly Father. Father. 
are doing and will be doing in the days ahead. We look forward with great anticipation, Heavenly Father, as we have this love, exercise this love, this godly kind of love toward one another. And as it draws us together as a corporate body, Heavenly Father, that we would present a unified, loving body to the community around us. And that the picture that we present might draw people to, not to us, but to the Lord Jesus Christ who saved us, who gave himself for us, and who will do the same for them. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that our love would drive each one of us to reach out into our community, to those who are lost and on their way to hell, Heavenly Father, before it's too late, Lord. Let us reach these folks individually. Let us go out and reach these lost people, not just to bring them into our church here, into this local body, but that they might come into the worldwide church of God, Heavenly Father, the unified church who lives on your love. And we would certainly thank you and praise you for that. We look forward, Heavenly Father, that as we go throughout our community and when people ask, what is it that makes you like you are? We can tell them about you and about what the Lord Jesus Christ has done on our behalf and is doing and will be doing and will do the same for them, that we might reach them with the salvation that you have offered through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would praise you for that in the name of our Savior, as he instructed us to pray in his holy name. Amen.